It's time for faith and life to connect. I first go before God, working on who and what I am before Him and what He's calling me to be as a husband. Where our Christian walk meets our day-to-day life. Dealing with that baggage can mean anything from delaying the marriage to dealing with the baggage. For sure. And where it's okay to laugh a little. Meaningless days, I look at. <laughs> I'm looking at meaningless days and live happily with the woman you love, and I'm trying to figure out how they wind up in the same set. <laughs> We're not saying that the marriage is meaningless. Heaven forbid we say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. This is The Session with Tom Russell from Heritage Christian Counseling Ministries. What triggers your potential spouse? And that you guys both agree, yeah, they are triggers, and it is, as we grow, something we have to work through. But we're going to give you sort of the grace and space to do that. Good morning and welcome to the session on the new Shine FM and on the podcast network at shinefmohio.com. My name is Scott. I'm here with Tom from Heritage Christian Counseling Ministries. How are we doing? Doing good. Off and running for the day and yes, swimming plans, golf plans, office plans. <laughs> Probably uh, golf, may, definitely on the weekend and office definitely i have to i gotta work some this weekend you still have to work a little bit i've already been in session today already on oh, my gee, day look off at you yeah. wow yeah all right we are going to i promise wrap up our <laughs> conversation sleep schedules if we don't i'm not gonna be able to sleep scott well i'm gonna i'll probably nod off in the middle so before we dive into all that tom let's go to our scripture that we've kind of landed on throughout this series it's out of the book of psalms i believe it's chapter four yes and verse eight we have been camping here because it's a great verse scott in peace i will lie down and sleep for you alone lord make me dwell in safety so we feel safe with him and when we feel safe with him we tend to sleep more you can relax i must feel pretty safe a lot (laughs) (laughs) sleep not an issue yeah that is not the case for everybody within the sound of our voice though tom that's for sure you can catch up on our show notes and everything on the podcast network at shinefmohio.com i've got our full uh, track list of everything we've talked about over the last three weeks and you'll find in there the information. You can also listen to the past podcasts and catch up with us there. But just by way of a quick review, we talked a little bit about adjusting your child's sleep schedule uh, as the school year begins, and that's what kind of started all of this. The first one is to follow a consistent bedtime routine to establish a relaxing setting at bedtime. So arguing with each other and yelling at the kids is not the way to do that. Neither one of you going to say. No. Okay. Make the bedroom quiet, dark, and a little bit cool. You and I had a conversation about that. Yeah. Do not have computers or televisions in the bedroom and get up at the same time every morning. Now, I saw something uh, during the course of the week since we did this that I thought just kind of confirmed what we talked about. And I just wanted to share that really quick. From mindbodygreen.com, they shared five sleep tips from Olympians. And I thought, yeah. Olympics just ended, so okay, what are their secrets? That's right. You know, yeah. they, they think about a lot of stuff. And it says, treat sleep as a part of your health routine, establish a bedtime routine, be consistent, block out disturbances, and think about tracking your sleep. A lot of that mirrors what we've talked about already. Well, that's true. So having an established bedtime particularly is very important because from a parenting perspective so that your children get used to it for some that might involve okay we're going to calm down i think i shared my some of my grandchildren in my florida grandchildren they 
have quiet time with mom and dad. And, you know, they just kind of lay down and, and they might talk a, a little bit about, you know, something or re- I think it's important you, you read a book. But it, it may be like right after dinner or it might be eight o'clock. They want to watch this show after that show where this is our usual routine. Right. It's critical for children because they want security and they feel more secure when they have it, as well as the whole get-to-sleep thing right. is going to be better. Absolutely. Now, I know you wanted to hang out in one particular spot here for a minute, and that was block out disturbances. Well, that's true, because when you try to block out disturbances, it can be a number of different things. How about the person who works third shift and is sleeping during the day? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they want to block out the light. That's important to do it. Try to sleep without blocking out the light. That's not good. Right. It could be mental. Those thoughts that you're having. Well, what's really interesting, I I think I've shared before, we have a thought and it triggers an emotion. So when that emotion, if it brings fear or anxiety of sorts, then along with that becomes those things that hit the bloodstream like adrenaline, paradrenaline, cortisol. And that's like a shot of caffeine and you're trying to sleep. So it's important that we don't, we, if something like that has the potential to be emotional for us, we might want to write that down on paper and make a list of those things that you're going to talk about or think about, work on tomorrow, and then see if you can sleep better. Kind of give yourself permission then to relax. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in an extreme case, you know, not being able to sleep is something, I guess, that we call insomnia. Yeah. This is where we want to spend our time today is dive into insomnia. and We'll talk just a little bit about medication with it. What are we talking about here, Tom, as we talk about insomnia and start to unpack this? Well, Scott, it's characterized by an inability to initiate or maintain sleep. It, it may also take the form of early morning awakening in which the individual awakens several hours early and is unable to resume sleep. Well, you know, there are some of us, Scott, who have to use the restroom. Oh, four, four fifteen every morning. My uh-huh. alarm goes off at five. Oh my gosh! I'm yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> yes, that's frustrating. <laughs> and then trying to get back to sleep, and you know, I only go if it yeah. takes me fifteen minutes to go back to sleep. Uh, the alarm's gonna go off right away. Right, yeah, and the alarm goes off, and the oh, uh, right. you get a growling, and <laughs> well, that puts a lot in perspective, Scott. <laughs> we understand they're true. Consequently, that can be difficult to go back to sleep. Difficulty initiating or maintaining sleep may often manifest itself as excessive daytime sleepiness. So consequently, we we would want to maybe have an afternoon nap. And I like my afternoon naps when I can get them. Now, Tom, can do you th- can diet play a role in the in insomnia at all? Absolutely. And so I think if you have a high level of carbs, as an example, I think there's a high probability that you're going to be more tired. Oh, the carb crash. Yeah. yeah. You're going to want to nap, and that's really, you have to be careful about that. Yeah. That's one thing with me as a diabetic. I've got to watch, we're trying to put me on a calorie diet. Uh-huh. Well, then I also have to watch carbs as well. So as I cut the calories, a lot of times I'm cutting carbs and my sugar will tend to bottom out uh-huh. like you saw when you first walked in the door today and I was dealing with a little bit of a drop. Oh, yeah. You know, and it was because of what I had for breakfast, didn't have enough carbs to, to sustain me. Yeah. And then it, 
it, my, my sugar bottomed out. So the excessive daytime sleepiness, let's kind of hang out there for just a minute too. Okay. So when we talk about excessive daytime sleepiness, it, it can also include episodes of irresistible sleepiness combined with sudden muscle weaknesses are the hallmark of signs of narcolepsy. So narcolepsy, the, the sudden muscle weakness seen in narcolepsy may be elicited by a strong emotion or surprise. Huh. Episodes of narcolepsy have been described as sleep attacks. So it's like all of a sudden, you just need to sleep. Well, my question or fear is, what happens if that happens in your driving? <laughs> yeah. And in fact, I think I have recently heard of an accident like that. Um, a rather elderly individual fell asleep and that happened. How about blackouts? Blackouts would be a similar example. All of a sudden, like you just kind of zone out. There have been times, and I hate to even admit this as much as I drive on 71, Yes, where I will, I will all of a sudden come to myself and not know how I got from point A to point B. That's a little frightening. Yeah, it's it's a little bit weird, unsettling. Well, well and true, and particularly when you're burning the candle at both ends, and it, you you very well, even though you're doing things to make sure you stay awake, you still yeah. can can nod off. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of treatments? would you see for narcolepsy? Well, Scott, when we talk about narcolepsy, uh, stimulant medications combined with behavioral interventions, such as regularly scheduled naps to minimize the potential disruptiveness of narcolepsy on the individual's life. I really like what this guy is saying, Scott. <laughs> we get to have some naps. I some like naps. Scheduled naps. <laughs> I can picture the, the soft chair I have on my couch. and I put, Oh, yeah. I, I put my um, feet up on the pilot's chair, as I call it. It's where I'm sitting when I do therapy. And, and you know, I, and I can. And I think there are times when some of our staff, when they don't have someone coming in, they do that. But that's because when we are in session, uh, a great example, if I have seen eight patients in a day, it's like driving eight hours. Right. And so, you know what, if you got nine sessions or let's say you've got six sessions and by the fourth one, the carbs have kicked in and you feel like you, and you've got a break, well, you know what, you're going to be more alert. People do rest. So that's the truth of it. Right. And, and so I don't think we're uh, unique in that. You'd be well, no, I wouldn't think so because you're, you, your senses are so heightened by listening to and responding to and dealing with the patient, I could see the same thing true of, the, of my doctor, my family doctor. Right. You go through and you just see people boom de boom de boom de boom boom and you're dealing with all these different diagnoses and medications and situations and symptoms. I mean, it's got to be exhausting by the time you see, you know, four or five, six people and it's not even, you know, noon yet. Yeah, yeah. And, and we are taught in seminary or in our clinical classes, how you manage not carrying that burden with you. Right. But it's it's the fatigue of mental focus for such a long period of time. Just like you focus on the road when you're driving, you want to focus on your client when they're sitting six feet from you. Right. If you don't, then you're going to hear all kinds of funny <laughs> things that you won't want to hear like... Well, Tom, if you're not going to pay attention, I, I could stay home and talk to my husband. He doesn't pay attention either. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
well, how does that make you feel? <laughs> no. Yeah. All right. So when you're when you're in session and you're dealing with with someone like this, is dealing with an insomnia or a narcolepsy situation. Are there some medications that tend to be used more often? Well, and so he mentioned stimulant medications, and Provigil becomes one as a great example. And so then other central nervous system stimulants, well, now we're talking about some of the same, I, I want to say, when we talk about that, that group of, of medications, the same ones that would impact uh, ADD. They, they actually use, when it's attention deficit disorder, they stimulate the parts of the brain, is my understanding, that were not as high up as the uh, functioning at a high level like the other parts. So they raise the brain up to a higher level while that it stimulates it and raises it to a higher level. Apparently, those also work for narcolepsy. So it's encouraging that there is. I am so amazed at how some of the things that we treat and work with are also things that the medical community treats. So when there's a need for medication, obviously given our licensure, we can't prescribe medication. We can recommend medication. We do that regularly. It's a good thing. However, the medical community is the one who comes through and provides it. So here's an interesting thought is that when that's the case, we have recommended it well, there are clients who would go, I'm not going on medication. Well, and they've got a medical issue. It would be as real as, as your diabetes. And, and we said, you know what? You might need some more insulin. And they would say, I'm not taking insulin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would they? They'd, they'd be, okay, well, give me my prescription. Yeah, and tell me what I need to know. That's it. And, and they, they would have no problem with it. But there's this stipulation at times about you've got a medical issue that's not letting you stay awake. And look, think about the danger of it. Right. You have a system that's depressed or it's malfunctioning and it should be stimulated. And here's what's going to help. So you are not allowed by your licensure to, to actually do the prescription. So at that point, would you do a referral to the family doctor? Yes. And say, we would recommend this patient be on this, and here's why. And then the patient would have to go to the doctor with that recommendation. Well, yeah, it works really close to that. What we're talking about is, since we can't, we would refer to their family doctor more likely. Because to get into a psychiatrist, we do have a couple in, in town that we refer to. But they are so busy. You could be three months mm-hmm. before you're going to get in and see them. So working with their family doctor, we would say, and this is what I've learned the hard way by experience, that we have a common patient who is struggling from depression and would benefit from an antidepressant. But if I come out and say, yeah, you know, we recommend Paxil or Wellbutrin for this particular patient, and they are against those two medications, then you're opening and inviting yourself into a medical discussion with a doctor who's going to tell you all the research of why they don't agree with that medication. <laughs> so I think it's also empowering, but I think it's also good. It's also very respectful to say to the doctor, we think we're seeing depression, and gee, what do you recommend here? Now we've empowered them to take care of our common patient. And I think that's a good idea. Okay. So, you know, the conversation may come up now, well, gee, you know, do I see my family doctor or do I see you? And 
you know, if you're dealing with these situations where you you just all of a sudden want to fall asleep, right, out in the right out of nowhere, or you're dealing with issues of insomnia and you know you're not sleeping right, and you know when you're not sleeping right, right, you know it. Maybe the first thing is to sit down with a Christian counselor, kind of right. get to the bottom of why are you not sleeping, and then right. go ahead and take things from there. How can someone start a conversation with you, Tom? Yeah, and Scott, we would use some of the behavioral things that, that they were, we were talking about, behavioral interventions that would be helpful. And to hear more about that, we are at HeritageChristianCounselingMinistries.com. And you remember, you can always go back and listen to this whole thing again on the podcast network at shinefmohio.com. Thanks for joining us today. 